Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hello and welcome to the Robert Lane Creative Careers Podcast, the podcast about creativity and making a living in the arts. This episode of the podcast features a conversation with British TV and theatre actor Lorna Laidlaw. Lorna is well known for her role as Mrs Tembe in Doctors and she's currently appearing as Aggie in Coronation Street. It would be fantastic if you could subscribe to the podcast, like, rate and review it because doing that helps new people to find it in the future. You can find me online at robertlaymusic.co.uk and all over social media as Robert Lane Music as well. Okay, here's Lorna. Hi Lorna, how are you? I'm very, very well, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm all right. I'm okay. I'm sort of past the whole Christmas thing, sort of, you know. So over Christmas. So, yeah, that was so last year, literally, wasn't it? Um, I can't literally believe that it's like this absolute, you're in a tornado for two weeks and then you just land. (laughs) Did you feel festive this time around? A lot of people have... Do you know what? I said to somebody, I, 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 I'm really stressful this Christmas. And I kept thinking, I don't understand it. I'm quite an organised person. I don't understand what I'm finding. And then I realised I've not been in, I've not really done Christmas in England properly for about four years because oh, okay. I always go away at Christmas. Right. It takes the stress out of everything. And last year I was doing um, The Wizard of Oz. So literally I had Christmas Day off. So I just said to people, just feed me, let me sleep and let me keep doing these two shows a day. So it was a really different vibe. Yeah. And this year, then, when you're not working, so you had to do the normal home. Stuff. I had two weeks off, and so I, I kept going. Oh my god, I need to sort my, I need to sort myself. I need to get loads of. But I'm, usually, I would have done all my presents by now. Uh-huh. But because I've been working right up until the hill, I just don't know. I just, I was not, I was not ready for it. <laughs> so does that mean which not did ready? you, which did you prefer then? Is be busy. I literally preferred going away. I literally <laughs> preferred going away. Yeah. I think it's a brilliant excuse because you go, I'm so sorry I didn't get you a present. I wasn't even in England. And people go, oh, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> yeah, they let you off. Probably, they let you off. Probably works out cheaper as well, I guess, as well. So much cheaper. I literally bought my ticket. That's great. Um, okay, what have I interrupted to speak to you today? What kind of stuff are you working on at the moment? Or what should you be doing? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm currently working on the uh, um, Coronation Street, am I? Oh, oh, yeah, up there. Okay. Oh. And is that as much fun as we would imagine looking in? I think, yeah, I think, you know what? It was a massive shock. I literally, it was a massive shock to get it, first of all. Yes. It was a massive shock. I I was literally doing uh, Wizard of Oz. And literally I was playing the the Wizard of Oz in the Wizard of Oz. So even that was a massive thing to be a woman playing the Wizard of Oz. And was that Birmingham Rest, that one? That's Birmingham Red, yeah. yeah. It was a fantastic, it was a fantastic show. And it went down really, really well. But then when I went to audition for this, um, I mean, loads and loads of people that I've seen on my telly box were there. And I said, oh, uh. God, I've seen you on this film and I've seen, I've seen you on that telly program and da, da, da. <laughs> and then I thought, I did say to my agent, I don't think I'm going to get this. Uh, I don't think I'm going to get it. And so I went back to Wizard of Oz and then they just wrote and said, I've got it. Oh, that's great. Was it one audition? I, it was a weird thing because I think they, 
I think they've been working on getting somebody, a family for it since September. I didn't hear about, I, I, I sort of knew there were auditions, but because I was already in Wizard of Oz, because I was already busy, I actually didn't think about it mm. really mm. because I didn't think it was an option. But then, um, because I was so busy <laughs> rehearsing, and then they said, can you do a self-tape? And in my cheek, I did the self-tape in a Brummie accent. <laughs> <laughs> I sent it off in a Brummie accent. Then my agent from me said, Lorna. I said, I oh, know, let's just see what happens. <laughs> just send it off and let's see what happens. Listen, we're north of London. We're up north, love. So we sent it off. And they went, oh, my God, that's fantastic. But can she do it in the north? And that's went, so close. Next time. So close. <laughs> Uh, it's a Birmingham accent's interesting, isn't it? It's so fashionable now as well, isn't it? All of a sudden with these Peaky Blinders. Birmingham accents, and you know why that is. Mm. Tell me. Peaky Blinders. Yeah. Even though... Peaky Blinders. We could have a conversation not... about the accents in Peaky Blinders, I guess, but... Yeah, I will absolutely have a conversation. I would love to have a conversation about the accents in Peaky Blinders. <laughs> However, what it's done, it, maybe not the accent... But they've literally put Birmingham on the map. I was in Amsterdam on a little boat trip, yeah. and they were going around everybody, going, "Where are you from? Where are you from?" And I said, "I'm from um, I don't, uh, Hi, I'm Lorna. I'm from Birmingham." They went, "Oh, oh fantastic, Peaky Blinders!" <laughs> I thought, "Oh my god!" Oh, good. That well, would never have happened. Well, it's about time, though, isn't it? Really, it really is about time. I think the Birmingham accent is the most beautiful accent, and I don't think it's apart from. The sort of dodgy ones on Peaky Blinders, but I don't think it's nurtured and loved enough on television. Well, that's interesting. Have you had opportunities to use your own accent on television? Not on television, which I think is really interesting. I thought what, what was really interesting when I was in Doctors, I thought, what was this? And I did say this to somebody. I said, oh my God, you've made such a massive rookie mistake. You've got one Birmingham actor mm. in your cast and you've made an African. Mm. You've got to do it in an African accent where actually she could have easily have been a brummie. Yeah. Um, I think one of the things I really push for in, in Doctors is to make, to have more Birmingham accents in there, which it has now. Mm-hmm. You know, Lovely Bart is in there, Ashley, Laura Rolls. They're all Midland-based performers. Um, so it, 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 you can you can hear it more, but I, I just think... Uh, 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 a show based in Birmingham, just like the the sort of love of um, the Mancunian accent with um, Corrie, that you hold on to your you hold on to your roots. I think we need to have more of that mm. with things that are based in Birmingham. That actually we're not we we actually support the accent. Yeah, and I think just giving people the opportunity just to use their own voice, whatever the voice is. I think be... I think it's so important. I really, really do think it's so important, and. Uh, I would love, I would absolutely love to do my own accent on telly at some point. Well, it's bound because to happen. Not, now that you've put that out. I hope so. Sure. You keep doing the self-tapes in Brummie. It's gonna, at some I point, keep doing the self-tapes and somebody will pick it up. Someone's going to go, that's perfect. We had her. We had her as California, but now that works so much better. <laughs> You mentioned for the audition for that one that you went. You said to your agent, "Oh, I'm not going to get that." Is that quite a yeah. common feeling from um, auditions? I think it's. I think it's the thing is, is because you, when you go for auditions, I mean, even the Wizard of Oz one, the Wizard of Oz one was a really weird one because they were looking for a male in their thirties to be the Wizard of Oz. Now Close. I'm so far away from that. <laughs> yeah. Incredible, but 
what I did do is just do, uh, I did, uh, <laughs> I did, I did the whole audition. I did do it in an American accent, but I just acted the whole thing out. Uh, you know, I, I've got this fantastic little, uh, this fantastic ceramic egg that somebody, and I used that as, um, you know, a, 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 um, a, 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 what do you call it? The ball, the storytelling ball. What do they call them? Crystal uh, ball. Crystal I ball. used it as a crystal ball. And it was very... So when we, the director saw it, he said it was one of the funniest things <laughs> 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 he's ever seen. one of the funniest things he's ever seen. And literally, I didn't audition. He just gave me the job off that self-tape. Oh, okay. And literally, it didn't get that. Literally, got the job off that self-tape. And I felt I've never done a theatre job where I've never met the director. So I said, look, Liam, I need to talk to you because I don't even, I couldn't pick you out in a lineup, love. Yeah. So we had to have a little meeting before we started rehearsals just so I could see him and chat to him. Yes. But I just literally got that off that self, that literally off that self. I've never, and also, I've never done a self-tape. Oh, that was your first of a self-tape? I've been in doctors. I've never, and that was my first self-tape because I've been in doctors for eight years and the, the sort of world of how things are done in the acting profession has changed so much. Self-tapes are massive now. It, it literally stops you having to, as an actor, having to travel up to Scotland or travel to, you literally send a self-tape and then yeah. they pick who they want from that. And So, so that, it's changed so much. And was Coronation Street your second self-tape then? Because that's a pretty good hit well, ratio. Cor- yeah, Cor- Cor- Coronation Street was my second self-tape. <laughs> so <you're, laughs> that is a great it success rate. It's a good success rate. It's a good success. But I also, I also sort of went, I've I've never done, how am I going to? And people said, yeah, you need to get a fantastic camera and you need to get Mm. lights and you Mm. need to get uh, lights to point to you and you need to get this camera that does. And I thought, I ain't got all that love. So I used my phone. Yeah. (laughs) Got my son to phone me up on my um, phone and I used my um, tablet and I filmed myself on my tablet while my son was doing the other lines to me. And that's how I did it. Yeah. No faff, no huge amount of, massive amount of um, equipment. I just did it. Yeah, because what they're looking for, actually, is it's you, isn't it? It's just the equipment having you it's in the room, basically. Uh, they're not looking to see if the lighting's right. Yeah, and it's not going yeah, to make you the right person because you've got the lighting no. set up, I guess. No, absolutely not. It, you need to be the right person for it. And just, um, and I suppose I was literally, I literally was in the right, for, for Coronation Street, literally, I was in the right place at the right time because if I hadn't left Doctors, I would never have got, because mm. I left Doctors with absolutely nothing. I just left, it was time. Mm. Well, so I just decided to go. Was that a frightening thing to do then? It wasn't, you know, i tell you why it wasn't. It wasn't frightening because over the sort of eight years, I'd always done. I mean, I met you when I did The Mother. Mm -hmm. And we sort of acted that out. And I was still doing um, um, Doctors then. And I actually just came off contract to to make sure that I could do do lots of other projects. Right. So I've done, always been involved in projects in Birmingham, working with youth groups, working with elders, you know, working with community groups, doing um, plays at the Birmingham Rep. I've always done that. So I just made sure that I kept my hand in while I was um, at Doctors. Yeah. So that when I left, I, I just sort of thought something will come up. Whatever it is, um, I'll be happy. And was that an amount of experience then? Because you've been in positions before where 
I, I'm guessing stuff ha- isn't there, but you, and you don't know what's coming next. But there is always something else, and because you, as you said, you, I, I think you, it's also you get you, because before I started on Doctors, I was always used to creating my own work as well. Okay, you know what I mean. So you write and I direct. So there was always, and also I'd um, I'd started um, directing Doctors, so I could always go back and direct episodes of Doctors. Mm-hmm. And when I finished um, Wizard of Oz in. January, I went straight back and directed Doctors. So there was lots of other things. Yeah, you always knew there'd be other things put, to do. Yeah, that's, there would be something. So that, there was no fear. There was no fear. That's really interesting. And from talking to people for this and, and like my own experiences as well, I think it's absolutely the case. I guess it always has been, but particularly at the moment, you, people are doing lots of different things, lots of different creative things. I think they, 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 I think they have to. I think, I think there is... We're in a sort of, it's a sort of a, a climate. I think especially artists are really good at juggling lots of things. Mm. I think um, for me, I started writing um, when I had small children because I just thought I need something that's going to keep me at home while I've got small children because I don't want to be going up to Scotland. I don't want to leave my children. Mm-hmm. And also I, I needed to do something that gave me short contracts so that I, I wasn't away for too long. So that's when I started directing. So I, there were reasons why I went down the paths I did. It was because actually I needed to make a life for me and my kids that that I wasn't going off to Scotland or I wasn't going down to London and, and leaving them for great chunks of time because that's not what I wanted to do. Absolutely. Perhaps it's worth, if we could then, going right back to the start, sort of how did this idea of acting and creativity enter your life and when did you decide that's what you were going to be doing? I actually um, started it 10 years ago. I, it also, I did lots of acting at school, obviously, yeah. but then when I, I left, I did my Gold Duke of Edinburgh Award. Okay. Right? Yeah. And as part of the skill, you had to do something creative in the community so somebody was going for an audition for the Birmingham rep and mm-hmm. I uh, and I said well I'll come with you but I ain't doing nothing <laughs> uh, so I <laughs> I'm just gonna sit and watch my <laughs> so I sat down at the side while they were doing it and they said you can't sit down you have to join in and I thought oh. so I went and joined in but got in I got into the Birmingham rep youth group mm-hmm. worked with them for years and then literally it happened like this then somebody saw me in that in that youth group and said look uh, we, we, uh, we've got this theatre company somebody's just left would you like to join us and I went yeah go on then oh, wow. join that group Great. literally that, and it sounds bizarre because it, then somebody saw me in that group and said oh can uh, that was taking steps and then I went on to Big Brom Theatre and Education and worked with them for years and literally while I was working with them somebody from the rep saw me in a play I was doing and said look we're doing this play do you fancy being in it and I went yeah go on then <laughs> And then I ended up on the main stage of the Birmingham Rep. And then I've never, I, I will say, for about 30 years, I've always worked there at the Rep. I've always done something. I've either directed something or, or been in something. or I've always had a connection with the Birmingham Rep. Which is fantastic, isn't it? Because we know that repertory theatre isn't, isn't quite what it used to be uh, in, in the, sort no. of the classic days. And we also know that... Well, they're businesses that have to make money and sell tickets. And a lot of the time, one of the complaints you might get, not just Birmingham, I know it happens everywhere, one of the complaints you might get about a local theatre is that they don't often use local actors. No, um, and I think that's – and I I know, and, I, and people have said, oh, you're so looking, but the rep constantly employs you and dad. And I said, that's brilliant, but I am constantly saying that the rep 
you know, as a because it, it is our it is our main um our, our main theatre company, our main repertory thing. Everything else is touring, mm-hmm. Hippodrome's touring, mm-hmm. you know, the Alex is touring. So this is a place where it employs actors. And I, I it's always been a real massive thing for me to be connected with the main repertory theatre in Birmingham because mm-hmm. Uh, and getting, I mean, Bart's work, Bart's work there, Dan Hadley's work there. There's been lots of other actors, but actually not enough. And I think we forget that there's such amazing actors in Birmingham. What they do is they go to London. Yeah. And we're losing people because we're not employing them enough here. Mm. I think there's been a big, there's been a big, I did, um, um, a polar bear uh, i knew you last year which is all birmingham actors and uh, it was just the most glorious thing to be a part of and it toured locally in last year it was a year before it toured locally it went to local venues it was in the you know it was in the studio sold out at the rep and then it toured in really unusual places where where you um you wouldn't expect theatre to be you know one of yeah. them was in a, a bar up in Erdington okay. and the other was in a church hall so but all of them rammed absolutely rammed yeah. with people um so for me it's that thing about making sure that the theatre goes out to the people and connects so, you know there was one place we went to in um in in Tipton where we went to a library in Tipton and a woman and she must have been in the 30s 40s she came up she said I have never seen a play before. <laughs> I go, how can you not have seen a play? But there's people who have never seen a play before. Yeah. And she said, you've made me want to go to the mall. And that that tiny moment, I'd go, that's why you do this. Yeah, absolutely. That's why it's important to get out there. That's why it's important for people to go, you sound like me, <laughs> which means it's possible for me. Yeah, I think that's so true. It, it, it's the, it obviously gets talked about a lot in representation in film and TV and all kinds of things, doesn't it, in lots of different ways. But I guess the traditional idea is we can't have someone with that accent or we can't have someone who's like that or we can't have someone who's not gorgeous because, you know, the, the tickets won't sell and people... Won't sell. Sell. But actually, people do want to see themselves reflected, don't they? People do want to see themselves reflected. I think it's... I mean, you, you, look, at, you look at Bloody Corrie, I mean, it, that show's been moving this year for sixty years, and this is the first time a black family has been in that. Sh- a black family mm. has been in that show. There's lots of families that have gone into it. It's sixty years. That's this is in the middle of Manchester. Mm. <laughs> it's a multicultural city, and it's the first time they've had a black family. So you just go. In some respects, we we seem to be. I said to somebody, I think the place where I see um, reflected the best, I think is in adverts. Adverts seem so multicultural and so open to everything. I think mm. telly still has a long way to go, not just accents. I think, you know, um, um, diversity mm. in every aspect. I think it's it's still, it's, there's still a way to go in, in that. And you're still pushing, constantly going, we should, we should, let's not do this, let's look at that. Still now, I still yeah. find myself going, mm, let's look, um, let's not to go straight down let's look behind the box and let's see about an alternative what can we do that's creative and interesting mm. and not the, the the sort of line you've been treading for such a long time that's it and i think it's when it's been asked for by audiences and by um creatives then it, it, however slow it's just gotta it's gotta be happening hasn't it i guess it's gotta be happening it has to be happening 
Okay, that's cool. So you you started you there on the rep um, through those various things that happened. I'm going going back again now to how you got into things. When did it become? What age were you then? Then when you were on the, if you don't mind me asking, when you were on the main stage for the first <laughs> time at the I rep? think I was six, seventeen, eighty. No, oh, no, eight. No, I was going up to twenty. I was twenty. I actually did as part of other training. I worked as a physiotherapy, yeah, uh, physiotherapist. Um, I worked in that world for a while and did social care. So along the acting, I could have gone in a very different route, mm. but it took me somewhere else. It took me somewhere else. But I worked in theatre and education. Theatre and education is where my my passion for theatre and a lot of sort of my beliefs about what theatre is, what um, what what why we create things. We create things so that we we create a response from people. It's not just there to plod along. Mm. There's a reason why we create things. So a lot of the stuff that I believe about theatre and about connecting with people has come from that theatre and education. That's my roots. That is my roots. And how different is that world? So like I, I know people who um, were doing theatre and education stuff maybe in like the, the noughties and kind of the Tony Blair era when yeah. perhaps there was funding for that stuff. And then over the last yeah. decade, it's been a slightly different situation. So I'm just wondering how, because we talked about sort of how self-tapes and stuff had made that kind of the, that part of the industry different. But in terms of community theatre and teaching, theatre and education, how different is that I- from when you started? I think it's, um, I think it, I mean, I, I think the, the number of um, um, theatre and education companies that we just lost through lack of funding, mm. I think there used to be about 40 of them just in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. I think they I can name about six now. Right. So it's, 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 it's a massive shift. I think the, the places that have suffered with that is actually schools and colleges because a lot of the shows used to go into schools used to be lots of lovely theatre and education performances that used to go into primary schools and secondary schools and and colleges theatre now has become this funny luxury thing Mm. that you go once a year at christmas or you 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 um somebody takes you out as part of a, a course that actually it's not something that's we find accessible to everybody. Mm-hmm. And I think theatre and education absolutely broke the ground in that. And it wasn't just that you were presenting a play. You know, some of the things I were I was involved in when I was younger was just revolutionary. It was looking at women in science. It was looking at football violence. And the show we did about football violence was absolutely was mentioned in in, in the Houses of Parliament oh, wow. as being a brown breaking piece of theatre that went out to the masses and looked at violence and um, football violence in young men. So it wasn't just tiny little, um, little tiny plays that flitted along. These mm. were really significant things looking at, um, you know, conflict and resolution in, um, in the, the apartheid system, then looking at racism in Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it was just absolutely opening up a massive um, road for discussion for young people about, Things that uh, I think sometimes it was difficult. Sex education was one of the shows that we used to take out where you you, you would never have been able to. I, I don't think you'd be able to do that now, actually. Mm. So it was really groundbreaking, the stuff that we, we took out into the community. Mental health, looking at mental health, looking at end-of-lifers, look, you know, working with people who are at um, the end of life and creating shows with really amazing stuff. Really, really amazing stuff. And it sort of fits. And it has changed. 
Sorry, go, Sorry, on. go on. I think it has changed a lot. I think there is so little funding available for the arts at the moment. It's all of these sort of um, small nuggets of a maze that we've lost. And I know that these big um, organisations, these big theatres, um, their funding continues, but I think it has been a great loss to schools and community centres and mental health services for this sort of work that the funding has been cut so badly. I think it's a great loss for us, really. And I sort of look at it as well that you're saying that the that stuff going or, or being um, squeezed has had an impact on um, accessibility to theatre. And it's certainly the case, isn't it? I think, in theatre and sort of like I've never been particularly into classical music, for example, but I got some tickets at one point at Arts Fest. I won some tickets at a raffle oh, yeah. to go to something at CBSO. So me and my mate went and it was it was great. Like it was a really fantastic concert. And I go, oh yeah, I'm going to start coming to classical music concerts now. This is brilliant. But then you look at how much they cost <laughs> and you sort of go, oh, okay, well, I know that I like some bark, but am I going to like three hours? Uh, you know, and it's that kind of thing of, it's hard to give things a go, isn't it? And when you were saying about like once a year for the pantomime or the, the RSC Christmas show or something like that, it's people pretty much know what they're going to get, don't they? And when you're yeah. when you're economising, you need to know that it's going to be a successful evening out, I guess. Exactly. Trying exactly. something, trying something brand new, some new piece of writing that will potentially be um, crap, but you you, know, you don't know till you try it, do you? It's the same with bands. Until you try, and I think it's really, I think it's really important for all of those big organisations to. Um, Look to new writing. Actually, I was involved with um, Women in Theatre, which is a local theatre company yes. who are fantastic. You do amazing work. And I've worked with them on this amazing project for, um, it's been going for three, uh, uh, three, three years, over three years. Mm-hmm. And it started off um, the past 30 years. So it was looking at women who have been in their profession for 30 years. Right. Then the next one was called Starting Out, um, and it was looking at young women who were just starting out in their profession. And um, the other one was Twilight, where it's women who had um, come to the end who were retiring. So it's mm. all so it's all verbatim interviews with women. Oh, and it's, 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 it's just been the most glorious thing to work on because it's, it's just been this sort of journey through sort of um, women's careers, you know, the, the sort of struggle of young women and mental health in young women about to be the best, to progress really quickly, mm. that your mobile phone needs to be on constantly. You need to have some emails at two o'clock in the morning. You need to be the first in. You need to be the last out. Or what that was doing to a lot. And it was a massive thing that came up with lots of these women, but it was not um, so much with the, the elders who were, who were retiring. Their, their sort of journey was very different. It was looking at how sort of they've become grandmothers now mm. and they were asked to, to babysit or they wanted to travel the world or they were looking at about things about themselves and where they wanted to be in their life at that time. And the 30-somethings were looking back and how, how they got to the place they are in in the workplace, it was a, it was an amazing project, and I think they're, they're nothing. I know they're going to be doing a, a podcast of some of the monologues oh, great. of those 
which which is going to go out um in the, they're going to uh, recreate them in a book and they're going to do a podcast of them Fantastic. so it's just had this it's amazing it's just had this amazing life of, of all these women and some women have gone to every single every year it's come out they've gone to every single performance there's lots of discussions about it it's just been the most amazing thing and i've written one of them um and i've been in one of them so it, it's just been fantastic to be a part of this thing that that's not just a play yeah i, I think it's that sort of thing and it's because women in theater have, have been involved in looking at mental health looking at you know um elders looking at teenage pregnancies looking at um sexual health looking at so many different things um that they've got a real fantastic ability to to capture the voice of of whoever they did a fantastic Whoever they're dealing with, they did a fantastic thing um, a couple of years ago, which um, was cervical monologues, looking at um, the cervical smear and doing mm. it like the vaginal monologue. And then they did another one with men looking at talking balls about testicular cancer. Mm. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just the, the breadth of work is just astounding. And it would be absolutely devastating if companies like this lost, lost funding. Mm. And their voices that perhaps constantly it's voices and stories never that get heard. Don't get heard, yeah. And that, but again, it's re- not heard. It's reflecting. It's reflecting what people are going through, what what people want to absolutely. be talking about. Yeah, absolutely. And they and there's so many amazing small companies that are doing great work out there mm. uh, with um, lots of um, people who don't have a voice and who don't get heard. Because you know, then they're not. They don't have access to those big, huge theatres. They don't have access to those massive, great musical events. Mm. That these small events are really. But it's like it's, it's sort of like the equivalent of the the library in Birmingham. As fantastic as it is, mm. there's lots of people who will never go into that library because it's so big and so imposing. Mm. Because they're so used to going to their small library, yeah, which has been closed now for that library, which now cannot open all the time because yeah. of lack of funding. Yeah. And there's all those spaces there as well, you know, like <sighs> between the rep and the library is what, is it four, three or four, isn't it, performance spaces, which is fantastic. Yeah. But who who's filling, the, you know, where are who's all those audiences those coming from? And... Yeah, who's filling those spaces? Who's filling those spaces? I think it's... Uh, uh, I think it's it's also that thing about those big organisations being generous mm-hmm. with smaller organisations and offering them space for free. You're mm-hmm. not doing it. Nobody's in them. Yeah, You're not yeah. using them. That actually that we absolutely start working about nurturing all those organisations that actually offer spaces for free. Offer if you've got sets that you're sort of demantling and you don't want anymore, offer them for small scale theatres offer them to schools, offer them just so that everything gets recycled and used yeah. to the best that it can get used. That's a great idea. Costumes and stuff as well and all that kind of thing. All of that, all of it. Uh, and it's, it's, it's that sort of, we're sort of in a, a very strange place at the moment where we're all aware <laughs> that all the things that we've been sort of skipping around and loving up our plastic bottles and our plastic this are actually killing us. <laughs> We're, we're all aware of it at the moment. We're all aware about all the cows, you know, and all the methane and all, you know, everybody's sort of, we're all aware of it, but there's lots of, there's lots of other places where we can actually start utilizing all the fantastic, um, 
things that actually we would throw in a skip. Let's start using them elsewhere. Let's start sharing spaces. Let's start getting people into our buildings that would never usually be in our buildings. I think it's, mm. I think it's time, really. And it's surely the benefits of all that are like we're talking about not getting audiences to the big organisations, or if the organisations are allowing smaller companies to do stuff, you're going to get through, hopefully people through the door would normally be there, and perhaps that we would never know exactly the, stuff, the big stuff. Yeah, exactly. You're... I think it's that. I think one of the great things that the rep does is does he, he has a Barry Jackson trust, which is a which is the one I was involved in, where you go out and and you do plays in unusual places. So you will do it in a church. You will do it in a coffee shop. Sometimes there's 12 people, 30 people. So you do it in really unusual. But the great thing about that is that those people have seen a play and they go, I want to see something else. Yeah. Um, not necessarily in that building, but now that you've bought this to me, I want to see some, I want to see something else. Um, I went to see a great show that my mate Ali was in. It's cool. It was great. It was about a ballroom dance. They used to um, run ballroom classes, got kids off the streets and taught, taught them ballroom dancing. And at the end of the show, everybody got up and danced for about an hour oh. doing ballroom dancing. It was the most beautiful in a library <laughs> that would have been closed on a Wednesday. Yeah, that you just thought, this is so beautiful and so relevant and so important that we utilise all these spaces that would just close. And actually, that, that library has made some money because everybody had to pay to come in, yep. sell drinks, everybody's had a great time, and everybody will come back to the library for a library now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> People who've never been in that library have been in that library and go, I'm going to come back to this library, I like it. They had other events. So it was just magical. Mm, just showed them what you could do. Things like that. I, uh, exactly. I did a, a thing with the Rep Home Theatre. <clears throat> and we were for the show I was doing. We were in a care home, and a similar sort of thing. And a lady at the end of it came up and she said, "Oh, I used to be an usher at the the Birmingham Rep." Oh, and we were like, "Oh, right, really?" She says, "Yeah, and I haven't been there since 1960, whatever." <gasps> and it was just like, "What?" <laughs> but the great thing they did there was they did these shows in these different community. Um, settings and then they uh, invited a load of them to come in and watch a little video they'd made about the project so they all got a day out or an evening out to the rep and saw themselves oh in this little God. film and stuff but yeah it's all that is so important isn't it and it's, it's so important and i think the thing is it's all under pressure <clears throat> like i talk quite a bit about just the arts in schools because obviously i teach a bit of guitar and do drama workshops mm. and stuff like that in schools and it's um it's hard, and I've mentioned anyone who's listened to podcasts before have heard me say this, but it's interesting, so I'll say it again. Um, it's this idea of the arts in schools are being pushed because they're not that important. But then the NHS is talking about prescribing the arts to people with mental health problems. And it's like, well, if it's important there and it could, you know, save money on drugs save lives. and yeah. save lives, then why is it, why not, is it important not important at the other end when perhaps we could get in with people before they get to the, the mental health yeah, yeah. problems? Maybe. I, I think they've... Yeah, I, I think there's a map because I used to, I, like I said, I used to be in schools and you sort of remember these amazing moments, these amazing moments. You know, when you go into a school and the teacher says, this child will not talk. They never talk. Yeah. They never put their hand up and never talk. You will not get anything out of them. And then in the workshops that you're doing after, that child never puts their hand down. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Then you go into another school and they go, these kids ain't going to come and see the play. They ain't going to come and see it. So you do it for a few kids. And then what happens is, is that the kids tell everybody else how brilliant it is. 
And then you're turning, literally, I was standing there going, you've seen it, get out from under the bench, come out from around the curtain, you, you've seen it three times, get out. <laughs> you're literally trying to tear. So I go, well, actually, there is a real need for this. And even things that aren't education, that actually there's, when I was at my boys' school, when I went to my boys' school, they hadn't, they didn't do a school play. And mm. I think the teachers did something. I said, it's not about this. It was said, let's do a play with the children. And they said, oh, you know, our children won't, you know, they won't. And so I said, right, let's just see. After opened audition, we did, we did, we did the Wizard of Oz. We had the flying monkeys coming on his scooters. <laughs> people, as, oh, it was just, and it was all child-based. It was all child, you know, there were people collecting tickets, children um, selling pop and stuff and, and biscuits. Mm. on. The, so they ran the theatre. Backstage were young people with adult supervision. So it was all, all child based and child led yeah. which made them i mean those kids for weeks after just skipped they skipped they said behavior in the school had gone up you know you know empathy with each other talking because they had all of them had a collective thing to talk about yes communication was better and it's all of those things that the arts bring you without you you actually doing anything you don't have to push them into anything it just develops you know, learning scripts, you have to talk and you have to communicate with somebody. Oh, yeah. You That's have it. to. Yeah, I've talked about this, this stuff with loads of people. It's like this thing of, at the moment, it's all about you've got to study something that will benefit you in yeah. your career. So, you know, if you're not going to be an actor or musician, why would you need to study those things? Well, apart from the fact you should be able to study things for the enjoyment of them anyway. Enjoyment of it. But the fact that all of these arty things, they do bring other skills in, in the same way that... They really do. Same way that your PE helps you lead a healthy life, even if you're not actually that interested in it you know you learn some stuff yeah. that are going to help you the same with this you talk about communication you know working in teams what's the job out there where you don't need to work with people you don't like the at team? some point self-esteem <laughs> self-confidence you know um, empathy all of those things job interviews a little performances aren't they and it's you know presenting yourself in all those different circumstances yeah and, and it's also i think one of the great things about doing drama and the arts is actually there's lots of things there was lots of things I went to a school once and I did this this show and it was and it was about racism it was about racism and we were sitting and having a discussion in a semicircle and the school originally didn't want us to go Mm -hmm. and they didn't want us to go because it was a catholic school and they said they didn't have a problem with racism okay okay (laughs) so we said well let's let's you know let's bring it there anyway and they had they had the play in the end they did take the play in the end but they did say you know we have not got a problem with racism there were black kids there were um, asian children there white kids there it was a very multicultural school i said okay we said fine so let's <laughs> let's bring the blow down sat down there and we sat down there was a young girl who was really quiet in the circle mm. kept her head down most of the throughout the discussion and I said, if anybody else want to say anything, she put her hand up and she said, I just want to say, she said, that there's somebody, there's two boys in this circle. She said, I don't want to name them because that would be right, which I thought you have so much dignity to mm. do that. In itself. But she said that they have been bullying me because my boyfriend's black. Mm. And all the time, constantly, they've been constantly bullying me and him and saying awful things about him. and then she started to tell them how it made her feel about mm. how upset she was about she went home crying about how it made her and her boy feel and 
uh, when they'd finished, we talked about this for a while. And I said, it's really, I said, thank you very much. And I said, I said, it's really interesting about when we talk about racism, because actually what, what we talk about is the person being racist mm. and actually not the, how the person feels. <laughs> yeah. We don't talk about feelings. We don't talk about that. We just talk about the person who's been racist. Let's talk about how it actually makes us feel. And I said, thank you so much. So I had a little chat with her. And um, afterwards, these two boys who she'd been talking about, who didn't say anything in the sofa, you knew exactly who their heads just went lower and lower. They came back and they came up to me and apologised. They said, we're really sorry. We didn't mean to hurt her. Yeah. And, I, and I just said, I think you're apologising to the wrong person. Yeah, yeah. It's great that you're apologising. You have come to the wrong person. Um, uh, but actually, what we did is that we had her and the boys and the boyfriend just sit in a room and just chat. Mm. While we were loading the van, sorting stuff out, they sat in a room and just talked. Mm-hmm. And we just left them to talk about it. Uh, and then afterwards, she said, I felt like somebody had taken a massive rucksack of stones off my back. Mm-hmm. And she came out. And I, it was so incredible. I cried. I went to the van. I just burst out crying because I just thought, that's theatre. That's a, a play that's come to this school that hasn't got a problem with racism. This girl's raised her concerns. These boys listened to it. Mm. And they talked about it. And hopefully <laughs> it, 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 something has changed. Something has changed. And we went to the teachers and explained what had happened. Didn't say who the girl was. Didn't say who the boys were. But we explained. So we said, you have got a problem. You need to put a policy. If you say you haven't got a problem, then mm. they have nowhere to go to. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> because it. you've said you have, that's the problem. You've said you haven't got a problem, and actually you've not opened the door to say, if anybody has a problem with this, we're here and we will listen and we will sort it out. That's right. They've dismissed it before even hearing about something. They've dismissed it before they've even acknowledged that it happened. Yeah. So it's that sort of amazing stuff that theatre opens up these amazing worlds and uh, for young people to discuss openly things that actually they've held on for so long. It can help with domestic situations. It can help with bullying. Mm. It can help with that happen at home. It can help peer pressure. It, there's lots of little things that you don't get the chance. And I think we're in this sort of weird place at the moment where young people get all their information about lots of those things from the internet now, yeah. which is really confusing, really yeah. <laughs> scary. Yeah. Um, where you don't get an air of another point of view, another, um, you know, another another side to that discussion, another look at that discussion, another road to go down. Mm-hmm. So I think it, I think we've lost so much in losing theatre in schools. I really do. And it's a shame, isn't it? Because it's a shame. Yeah, it is a shame. Um, because the way that things are at the moment, it's when you really need the arts. Usually arts thrives in situations where the politics is divisive and, there's, yeah. you know, recessions and all this kind of stuff. And I, I, I guess the only kind of positive to the situation now is there are outlets, aren't there? And there are ways for people to get stuff out there without it having to be in the big theatres or on the big TV programmes. You mentioned... No, I, I think there's... Yeah, I think there's lots of people... I think that thing that about, and stuff like that. Yes, exactly. And I think there's lots of... I think there's lots of um, places where people are just doing it. Yeah. Just getting out there and just doing it because they know that it, it's needed. And I, I, there's, there's, there's lots of sort of initiatives as well where... You know, like like the Birmingham Rep doing um, a community cast where mm-hmm. people can go on and be involved in a show mm-hmm. um, on the main stage or in the th- in the studio. And, and I think um, 
the Birmingham Hippodrome with the, uh, the Birmingham Operatic Society do the same thing where a cast can get in, you know, RSC do, yeah. where a, a communicant cast can get involved in a map. And you do make lovely, massive connections with people in those things. But also there's loads of organisations that are just doing fantastic little bit, little bits of theatre that are touching people mm-hmm. on a different level. Mm-hmm. So there are ways of people actually getting involved without you thinking, oh my God, this is a massive pressure. You can dip in and out of things and be a part of something for so long and then step away. I think being involved in the arts like that is, I, I think, for mental health and for your well-being, it's like people, when they talk about people singing, how great it is for you to be a part of um, a, a, a choir. That's why choirs are massive at the moment, because mm. it's for your mental health, for your well-being, for that commute, that sense of community. Lots of people have um, sort of cottoned on to that. And I think it's absolutely the same for drama and the arts, music and all of those things. If we could go back a little bit towards the sort of uh, career stuff then. So you were, you sort of gone from one company to another, someone had seen you one thing and then you were on the main stage at the rep. Yeah. How, from there, how quickly was that like, a career then uh, well it was always a career it was always a it was always a career it was always a career for me but uh, i think the, the thing is is that um i i, I think after i did that and, I, and when the children were little i started writing i started writing because um i just didn't want to leave them so i wrote children's shows um one theater of them was at the uh, yeah children's theater shows and when my children were little i, I wrote shows for them Okay. Their age group and little people with puppetry and music and, and things that I, and also I was in them. So I wrote them, which meant I could employ myself. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> and, you know what I mean? Yeah, I do. And be in them. And also I could structure it so that I could drop my eldest off and I had a little baby, could drop my eldest off at school, take my baby with me to work, yeah. put him in the crash at work, do a show, feed him. <laughs> in my break, do another show and make sure the show finished so that I could pick them both up and pick him up from school. Wow. <laughs> you sort of, you, you constantly, as a mom, I'm constantly thinking, what can I do to make myself absolutely here with these children? Yeah. When I, when I did a show at the rep and I had two small kids and I did um, the nativity at the rep. Yeah. And I just thought, how am I going to do this? How am I going to juggle this with two little people? And so I asked them for a flat. They had flats there. Yeah. So I asked them if I could have a flat. I decked it out with loads of toys, and then I got a nanny. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so a woman in the company had just had a baby. Her baby was about four months old, and she was panicking. So we had this nanny in the Birmingham Rep in a flat. So she, while I was rehearsing, we always had a break so I could go and pick up the kids. Mm-hmm. I asked if I could have that break at that time so I could pick up my two children from school. And then the, the nanny who we'd employed would look after our children. Then we'd go and look after them and play with them in our break time. Oh, and go back to work. That's amazing. But it's, it's, it's great. But you, you sort of go, I think we, you, you sort of, you sort of go, if you don't ask, you don't get. Absolutely. Really. If you don't ask, you don't get. You can sort of plod along and go, oh, my God, I can't find any. But actually, you just go, I need a flat. This is how I'm going to solve this problem. Yeah. If I'm going to be employed by you, this is what I need to be employed by you. Yeah. So let's do that. You know, when I worked there, I'd pick the kids. When I did workshops or I'd pick the children. I'm not doing a play. I'd pick the children up. And while we were discussing what we'd been doing for the, the day, my kids would just be running around and sitting on people's laps and stuff. So 
they were always a part of that process and I didn't try to hide them mm-hmm. because actually I'm a mum working in the arts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm a mum working in the arts, so we, we shouldn't be able to sort of facilitate this and us not it not be a, a problem. When I got my job on um, telly, my first telly job, really big job, was in children's television. Yeah. And that was doing Tickabilla. And it was a massive scary thing because, you know, I thought, oh, my God, this is quite a big game. It's a brand new show. I've not done any telly before. This is quite a big thing. And after I'd done it for about three weeks, I thought, I can't. I'm not doing this. I can't do this. Mm. And I said, I went to the producers. I said, look, I'm, I cannot be away from my kids this long. <laughs> and so I, if you want to go and get somebody else, very honest, yeah. I said, if you want to go and get somebody else, and that's fine, but I cannot be away from my children. I cannot be making a program for, children. for other children <laughs> while I'm away from my children. So I'm struggling. Yeah. Because it was all up in Elstree in London. So they said, what do you want? And I said, I can only do it at these times. I cannot do like six week blocks. I cannot do that. I will do a week and then I will go back for four weeks and then I will do a film for another week or so. So they spaced. So they said, all right, then I thought they ain't going to go for this. But they absolutely did. I was the only one with children mm-hmm. in the cast. So they absolutely did that. They spaced everything out for me so that I wasn't away from my kids for too long. Um, and I had a husband, but I just thought, this is not, I can't understand how I'm away from my kids for so long, making a kids' program. Kids program. Yeah, yeah. And presumably, it made you better on the program because you were happy. It made me because thinking about but, yeah, you're <laughs> happy and contented. But I know it's a real problem, and I know it's a problem because I remember doing a show and um, somebody, one of the girls came in and said, um, really upset. I, I honestly thought when she came in, that upset, I thought somebody had died. Mm. That's how upset she was. And I thought, oh, God, she's lost somebody. But she came in to say she was pregnant. Mm. And I thought, how the hell have we got to the point where she's just got a job after this job, and her main thing is, is that she's petrified <laughs> of yeah. going to that job and saying she's pregnant. Uh, I so I just said, what you have to do is this. You have to go in confidence. You, you, you're pregnant. You, you know, you're not, <laughs> it's not a problem. You're pregnant. <laughs> you're growing another human being. You're yeah. not ill. You're not going to keel over and die in the middle of the show. You're fine. You're having a baby. Go in there with Conman, tell them that they will have to make you costumes with elastic on it. If you grow, that yeah. it will all fit perfectly. Rather than going in there crying and thinking it's a problem, because they will as well. Yes. So go in there with confidence. And that's what she did. And she was absolutely fine. All the costumes were all elasticated. She was absolutely fine. But I thought, how have we got to that point to where... make people feel like that, yeah. Feel that actually, this amazing thing the only thing she could think about was, Oh my god, they're going to give me the sack, and I've just got this job, I've not even got it yet. And literally, start straight up. Or, you know, I look at places, big places, you know, I'm, I'm working up in um, Media City now, which is a sort of purpose built giant. And I look, and a lot of the buildings are filled with the moon, and I go, There's no crash, I don't get it. Mm. I don't get it, there's no crash here. Uh, you sort of work in a world where you're c- continually trying to work and look after your baby and support and continually work. And, and lots of families do have to have two incomes, but actually there's, there's very little support when you're building newness mm. to make sure that that continues. And a crash would help with all of that. 
the media starts work very early. We you know people are, I'm in that building at seven. Mm. And it's, uh, so it was really difficult when I started um, Tika Villa to have two small children. I, co- I couldn't do it. And they were fantastic. They just said, all right, we will just do that. We will work it so that you're never working in the holidays, that you will do this, you can do. And I said, but I would like you to discuss it with the other cast members because I don't want them to think that, oh, you know, why Lorna, uh-huh. if they have a problem with it. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, You've got to be fair. Special treatment. You have to be you, fair. You don't, yeah. You don't want it to be that it, to be you're getting something that they wouldn't get. It's if they preferential treatment. I just want to, I just, you have to discuss it with them. And actually, it didn't make any difference to them. They didn't mind working through the holidays. It made no difference. To absolutely. Them. Yeah. But I said, you have to discuss it. And actually, it did absolutely change. And then I got grandpa in my pocket. Um, my kids were a bit older then. And then I got doctors. Yeah. And yeah. Doctors was in Birmingham, though, being filmed, was it? It's all filmed in Birmingham, literally. Doctors is filmed or just down the Bristol Road in the Brummyland. Which know. makes life a bit yeah. easier. It did make life. I mean, literally, I live, I walk, 20-minute walk to work. Yeah. <laughs> I was working on Doctors. And it was great. And it was, you know, we kept changing things and pushing things and pushing the character and changing the narrative. But that character word. I remember when I first started, Somebody said, on paper, this character should not work. <laughs> and they're right, because everything about her was a bit, you look at it, you think, how's that going to work? She's an African woman who wears wigs, mm. who's desperately religious, highly opinionated. <laughs> How is that going to work? Mm. But you make it work. You, you sort of look at how she can be vulnerable, how she can be, you know, sort of um, um, funny, how she can be endearing and still have all of those traits. Mm. What you just said there, that thing of you make it work, that kind of feels like it fits in with a lot of what you're saying about performance, but just the rest of it as well. And I think that's something that creatives listening in would find very interesting. And it's sort of something that occupies a lot of my thinking at the moment, which is as you're going through this stuff in your, as any self-employed person, and you're so used to saying yes to things, you're so pleased to be offered things that you feel you have to say yes to them. But at, And you kind of think, well, if this doesn't happen, I'm going to get a bad name. Or if I do the wrong thing here, it will affect reputation or whatever. But I guess you get to a point where you realise it is only one job. And whilst, you know, money's important, obviously, but actually the long... T- is, is that how you've looked at it? It's a long-term picture? and It's a long-term... Yeah. Doing things that yeah. feel right is more important than just... For saying me, yes to it has to feel right. Yeah. I, 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 it, it has to feel right. It has to. Like you I mentioned think, with the Wizard of Oz, sorry, that you would you needed to meet the director first. So like you, yeah. you wouldn't walk into something if and then be in a situation where you're like, oh, actually, I can't work with this person, or we don't see this. I tell you why. Way. I tell you why I wanted to. I tell you why I wanted to meet him because I wanted to meet him because I wanted to make sure he had the same vision of him having a female Oz. Yeah. It's it's fine because if you have a male Oz, it just falls into that same narrative that's been played all the time. But if you've got a female Oz, I I've sort of had a really clear vision about what that female Oz is. What is that female Oz? And I said, whatever the big head is, the Wizard of Oz head <laughs> that everybody's scared about, yeah. it has to look very male because that idea of this woman, <laughs> it, it, it's like life, isn't it? It needs to be very male. Because actually, what what um, 
the big strong male voice and actually the person who's sorted everything out is actually this woman mm-hmm. it's a bit like it's a bit like life yeah <laughs> you know, do you see what i mean i do does that come with experience though or was that always your point of view i think that's absolute experience i think your experience with all the things that you've done and all the all the um events that have shaped your life and actually I get to the point where I'm, I'm, I, I, I go, uh, I, <laughs> I don't give a fuck about, I just go, I know this is absolutely right. Mm-hmm. I know this is right. And my experience says this is right. And I will, um, I think we need to drop this or that needs to be changed or we need to do this or we need to be really careful and look from this angle. Mm. Um, not because you're going in your bloody mind, but because you go, if we're going to make this character right and believable, then we have to just make sure that we just don't go down the obvious route with it. Yeah. And I think that's why Mrs. Tenby's worked so well, because there's nothing obvious about her. And you tried to find, well, it's empathy, isn't it? Because everyone's human. <laughs> and so everyone has got, exactly. has got that in them somewhere. And it's kind of part of your job, isn't it, is to bring that out and let people... And going back, that's another thing yeah. I find actually with the teaching arts at school or being involved in arts at school, it is empathy. If you're having to play a really awful character, you know, a horrible person, at some level you're having to get inside that head and try and understand why they're behaving the way they are, which is yeah. quite a useful skill in life, isn't it? If you if you can't get on with someone, you can't understand why they're doing things, if you can take that step away and sort of try and see Just things step- from their point yeah. of view. Exactly, and I think that I think that is a really I think that's a really important thing. I think it's a really important thing, hmm. and I think we don't do that enough. Actually, I think it's all, uh, yeah, we don't do that enough. We really don't do that enough. Uh, I, 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 there's lots of uh, things that you go uh, last election. You go in. I don't. Um, you, you have to look at where other people are coming. Absolutely. There's a massive shock of so many people voting um, conservative. You go what the. But you go, okay, what are we looking at here? Yeah. What what has gone wrong? What's made all these? It's not like two or three, but this is a massive shift. Yeah. It's a massive shift. So actually, absolutely, whoever gets um, nominated for the next um, Labour um, Party, they need to really put themselves in those people's shoes and go, That's right. what's been the shift? That's it. Because actually, the Conservatives have been in government since 2005. So everything that we think's gone wrong with this country has been in their hands, but we've not blamed them for it. Yeah, yeah. We've not put that that on their doorstep. We've got it. it it's something else. There's something else not quite right, and that we need to put yourself in other person another person's shoes to go. Okay, let's have a look at this. Let's let's look at this. Let's let's look around the corner and let's look where that's come from and why. Is this happened and um, and to listen to be, different views as well? Like that's that is one of the problems with such a with the massive problem and social media, yeah. isn't it? It's the echo that's, chamber. I think it's a huge problem. I think one of the things when um, when we Brexit when Brexit happened, I went, "What? The, how did that happen?" What, because I all my people on my Facebook page is like like minded people like yeah, me. That's it. It was a massive shock. That's a right. Massive shock. 
that's been the case in so many political things over the last few years hasn't yeah. it? because yeah you know and, and again if you're a performer or a creative then you do need to speak and communicate with people who aren't always agreeing with you because you need no. to be able to reflect everything else and and then it's that other thing of anyone who thinks otherwise is the enemy and they're not they're not bad yes, people and they're not. they just have a and different point of view a different a, experience a very, yeah a very different opinion and i think that is i think for me that is one of the biggest things is that we keep thinking of people as the enemy. Yeah. And actually, I think it's a massive thing when all these Labour supporters turn conservatives because you get thinking, actually, the day before the election, you were on my side. Yeah, that's it. That's it. And so you're not a bad person. And, and there's something <laughs> the about a lot, you a lot of this sort of what you could call right-wing politics here and in America and across Europe, they're managing to appeal to people who feel like they haven't been listened to for a long time. They haven't been listened to, And, yeah. you know, your point of view might be that they're lying to those people, but they're still managing to appeal to them. <clears throat> and to just ignore those they people and try and write them off isn't going to work, is it? Yeah, it's a really bad move. It's a bad move. It's a bad move. It's, it, it is literally sitting down at the same table and listening mm -hmm. and listening and really listening mm -hmm. and asking questions and finding out. I, I, I think we, I think with the sort of surge of social media at the moment, it's really easy to tap into what you want to tap into. Yeah, it is. It's. I mean, it is. That's really easy to listen to people who agree with you, uh, and it's it's hard work to listen to people you disagree with, isn't it? And it's, you disagree with. It's so easy yeah. on social media just to go, "Oh no, bye, I'm not talking to you." But then, before you know where you are, you are only talking to people who agree with you, and it's. Yeah, I know. There's some people, and I'm so Labour, and I'm I'm not ashamed to say it. But there's some people. There's um. I've got some some conservative, and it's been really interesting, uh, listening to their point of view and mm. da da and their absolute drive and. Uh, because uh, usually they wouldn't be on my Facebook page, but I think it's been really interesting listening to that to point keep of them. view yeah. because it's a, to keep and uh, have an idea of really what they think and what they believe and what. Uh, and as strong as I believe in what I believe, yeah. they do as well. Yeah, and if and that's the thing, if you're strong, if a person is strong in their beliefs, then they should be strong enough to have them challenged, shouldn't they? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Which which exactly. people aren't. <laughs> they kind of aren't strong enough in their beliefs. So they can't I know, I know. You've done lots of TV and lots of theatre work. How do they differ and which do you prefer? I think uh, I love theatre simply because of the connection with the audience. Yeah. I think you have an immediate response. If, if something goes wrong or you can... Uh, if you're in the environment to do that, you can shift things or shift the monologue or add something that reflects what's going on out there yes. and get back onto the script. Interesting, yeah. I think, yeah, which is lovely. And it, it does mean – and also, once the show stops, there's a connection because people hang around to talk to you and chat. Mm. And I think telly is different. I think you're, you're, um, you're that one step removed from an audience – which means when you're in contact with the audience, it's a bit more frantic. Right. You see what I mean? That's why you see lots of people screaming about uh, uh, for film stars and, uh, and there's people at the back of Coronation Street waiting for you to come out. Right. It's because you haven't got that constant connection with people that you're in a box constantly uh -huh. and people are telling you how famous you are and how and it, actually you've just walked in. You've done your lines and you're going home. Yeah. That's how I see it. There's a, 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 there's a reason. Somebody said, why do you keep wearing wigs? And I said, because I don't want people to know who I am. And also, I want to be able to walk down the street without anybody knowing who I am. 
Mm-hmm. Because uh, my private life and Lorna is not what they've paid for. What they've paid for is a character. So I will give them a character. Yeah. And have you managed to avoid that then? So, like, do you never want to be recognised, or is it okay in some circumstances? The thing is, it's always going to be—it's always going to happen because even when even when you walk out the back of um, what you call it, Corrie, yeah. people are googling yeah to see if has Aggie got blonde hair? Is that a wig? So people are googling it anyway, so they will find out. If, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But literally, I can do things that a lot of the cast members can't. I can walk around Manchester; nobody has a clue who I am. Right. And I'm really happy with that. I'm really, really happy with that. Um, but lots of the Corrie cast cannot do that. They cannot go to the traffic centre. They cannot go out for a meal without somebody constantly coming up and asking them for water. Yeah. And I don't really want that. I really don't. <laughs> That's yeah. not what acting's about. That's a stutter buy product, isn't it? It's not what it's about. That's interesting, and it was never about that for you when you were starting off either. So no, you, you didn't get into acting never. thinking you were going to be famous or a never. movie star. And that's or... another thing. Why it's a different thing. It's another. It's never. I've never thought about me being uh, people called famous. I've never thought about what I thought about is: um, is this going to be interesting? Can I do something with it? And if I've not, once I get to a place where I think I've done enough, like with with doctors, it's time for me to go. Mm-hmm. That's really interesting. It's never been about being famous. It's about really being truthful and doing the best you can for that character. It's interesting because a lot on this, I ask people to define what success means to them, sort of career-wise and artistically. And, I, and it sounds like you've just sort of said that it's if you're if you're able to do interesting things, really, no matter what it's on television, yeah, whether you're on telly, whether you're in a school, whether that's what. That's the buzz. Whether I'm directing, whether I'm writing, you do it to the best of your ability. You go, I couldn't do that any better. I couldn't do that any better. I, I, or, you know, sometimes you have to forgive yourself, especially on television, because actually you've done something and they go, cut, next. And we're on to the next. And you think, I could have done that. I could have done a bit more on that. Yeah, because you don't I have the time, do you, in, in a, in a sense? There's no time. There's no time on telly where, you know, you've got the luxury of three weeks rehearsal with, yeah. with a theatre production, playing, lots of play with. Yeah, you have to hit the ground running. You know, you have to hit it running. I think one of the things with Corrie is that when I went into Corrie, I'd been African for eight years, right. and I really struggled for my poor little mouth to be northern <laughs> <laughs> because it had been African for eight years. Yeah, and um, so it's, it's that thing about re-educating your mouth and making it work really hard to get back into to get into something that it's not familiar with. Um, but it's actually doing the best you can. It's nothing to do with being famous. Nothing to do with being famous. Do you work with accent coaches then? Out of interest, if you're doing something, we like have that. no coaching. I have no coaching. Not for Mrs. Tembin. Not for the Corrie. Mm-hmm. So it's just <laughs> based you just on do what listening. You can. Yeah, yeah. Literally, and the reason I, the reason Mrs. Tembin was the reason I got Mrs. Tembin is that I well. In, it's because I just finished doing a play about South Africa. Right. And they were adamant they wanted somebody African from the African continent. So I sort of moved the accent from South Africa to Botswana because it was northern and a bit softer. The um, the South African accent is quite hard. Right. It's got rough, it's got rough edges to it. And the Botswana um, accent is a bit softer. Yeah. 
I had no coaching. I had uh, no coaching. And then I went on to straight onto this and I had to do a self-tape with a sort of northerly accent. And you keep going, they just want you to be northern. I went, what does that mean? Northern could be Yorkshire, Lincolnshire. What does that mean? Derbyshire, Nottingham. What does that mean? Yes, yeah, yeah. So you sort of have to find, and basically, literally, I sat and listened. Even when I wasn't on set, I used to go into the studio and listen to people talking. Mm-hmm. And try to pick it up. <laughs> And how comfortable Sometimes is it now? Does it feel, does it replace the African? It's so much better. I, I, to be honest, when I started, it was appalling. It was terrible. And I felt ashamed. <laughs> and I looked, and I did. It was terrible, Rob. It was terrible. <laughs> and I kept going, oh my God, what part of the country am I from? <laughs> because it kept going up here, Lancashire, it kept going a bit Yorkshire, it kept going, I kept thinking, where? And so now, and I sort of listened to other people, and actually, all of their accents are from different parts from mm-hmm. up north. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? All of their accents are sort of sort of different. So you sort of go, uh, my two boys and my two sons, I can't say, you have to pick me up if there's something that doesn't sound quite right. And I said, my brummy, I went, auntie. And they went, no, <laughs> auntie. Nante. And they said, you've got to say auntie. And I went, oh, yeah, you're right. And you can, as soon as they say, you go, you're right. Yeah, little bits of brummy kept coming out, and they they're brilliant. They've been brilliant. They've just gone, just do that. And I go, okay, that's, well, that's helpful. <laughs> they're so fantastic, and you have to. I think you just have to be brave enough to go. I just need some help with this. And now I, it's fine now, and I and I, I don't feel as nervous about it Is because it? literally, when you when you're doing doctors, there's nobody from Botswana there, so nobody can pick you up. Yeah, well, as you're in Manchester, <laughs> so it you know what I mean. Really different, doesn't it? It makes you're literally in the middle. You're in the lion's den, so you've got to get it right. And so we I did it earlier about Peaky Blinders. So if we were around people trying a Brummie accent, we'd probably, you know, have things to say. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Great. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, 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 much as I was cursing the Peaky Blinders, I thought, oh, my God. But they should have had, all of them should have had coaching. I'm sorry. <laughs> but it was the variation in it as well, wasn't it? And, and I don't know if this is, if this is bullshit, really. But I think you could make an argument that something set in the present day, like Coronation Street, people travel around so much. So that's you know, what I, and somebody that's who lives why in I Manchester think... could have an accent exactly. from anywhere, literally. Anywhere. Exactly. In the present day. That's why I did my audition in Brummie. Yeah, because said, you don't have people to. People come from yeah. anywhere? Yeah. No. And that's because I thought, think outside the box. They didn't. They went for, they went from, which is fine, which is absolutely fine. Dad's not from there. But do you think there's you know, some... That, chance that they may have just appreciated the fact that you were trying something different and that made the self I think they did and I think that's why I went to the next that's why they literally did that I did that um I did that that um, self-tape and literally they called me in and I did a screen test and then I got the job mm. and it was at the screen test where all the famous people were did you say the people off the telly <laughs> that's where all the famous people were so did you have to do a screen <laughs> test with other with other people then? Right? Other male actors. They sort of trying you out with other male actors. And actually, the person who got it, Trevor, yeah. I did my screen test with him. Right, okay. So when they were doing the screen test, they wanted us to do it in a Jamaican accent. And I questioned the Jamaican accent. Yeah. I did question it. I said, I'm not sure why you would what want that? a Jamaican accent because we are of this generation. And actually, unless I'm talking to my cousins in Jamaica or me and my mum are having a little fall round or me and my sister are having a we don't. Actually, we're Brummies or you're Manku. Yeah. Or it's a next generation. If if you're saying we're from my mom's generation, then I would go, actually, yeah, but you need grandparents to come in to do that. Yeah. This generation, I said, I would guarantee that the people you've auditioned, none of them have Jamaican accents. And they didn't. 
Mm-hmm. I said I would, and I was honest, I said I would struggle with accepting this job if you made these characters Jamaican, mm. because they shouldn't be. So it's another example of you having this really amazing <laughs> possible job lined up, but if it doesn't feel right. If it's not right, if it's not right, you imagine. I'm just thinking, I keep imagining it. I keep thinking, Jamaican, everything about that's wrong. Mm. And and also, I did say to them, there are other islands. <laughs> yeah. Not everybody's from Jamaica. Yeah, yeah. You know, so now he's from the Dominican. They've, they've set him from the Dominican. But it's also, you sort of go in, let's, again, let's not go down that Most, typical, stereotypical yeah. road. Let's look at this really carefully and let's make it right. And let's reflect people. Let's really reflect the, the, the audience that you're going to be. Right, let's make it real. You know, once you bring grandparents in and they've got a little bit of Jamaican accent, fantastic. Mm, but mm. actually, no. Mm. And I was really, that's why I said to my agent, I don't think I've got it. Because I said, <laughs> I don't think they should be Jamaican, really, no. Mm. No. Interesting. But they do. Okay. Lorna, can I thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me? That's been absolutely fascinating. <laughs> no, thank you so much for asking me. That's great. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed that. See you next time on the Robert Lane Creative Careers podcast. If you could subscribe to the podcast, share it, like it, comment on it, review it, tell all your friends about it, all of those things would be fantastic because the more that people do that, the more that new people get a chance to hear the podcast, join the community and enjoy the content that we're putting out. You can find me at robertlanemusic.co.uk and I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram as Robert Lane Music. Please get in touch, let me know if you're enjoying the programmes and who you think I should talk to in the future. Thank you, till next time, goodbye.